Tiaras, sashes, trophies. On stage, she was a picture-perfect beauty queen. Off stage, she was a playful, curious little girl who loved nature and her family. So what happened the day after Christmas that left a little girl dead and a family thrust into the spotlight? This week's topic is The Death of JonBenet Ramsey, Part 1. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Well, there's just nothing I like more than <laughs> a case that has one of us on one side and one of us on the other side. But then in this situation, we like vehemently switched. <laughs> What do you mean? Well, initially you were pretty hemmed up about what you thought, and then uh, you sort well, of Well, I still changed. don't know what I think, to be honest. That's true. And I really didn't know anything, but I had a gut in- instinct, mm-hmm. and I've totally changed. And then I've changed again, and I'll probably change again before part two. This is a, one of those cases where there are several theories, and there is evidence to support all of them, and there's evidence to discredit all of them. That is true. And so whatever camp you subscribe to, you can find <laughs> stuff on the internet that bolsters your your claims. That is true. Or you can find stuff that says, no, no, you're wrong. So because it's unsolved, there's no one knows, and That's no true. one's right. There's so no definitive just answer. Has opinions, yeah. Even the people who were actually there have different opinions. And as I told you, I was on Reddit just briefly to see, take the pulse of the internet. And someone said, "Absolutely, <laughs> that is a good place to do it." Oh, you know, someone said, "Absolutely, this happened," and the response was, "No, it did not." And then a response said, "No, it did." And yeah. another response said, "It did not." <laughs> that should be the just... poster for Reddit: how to deal with Reddit. <laughs> just people yelling at each other yeah, just on the internet, screaming into avoid (laughs) well i'm christy i'm heather and this week we are discussing the case that fascinates me more than all the cases john benet ramsey and it's funny i was 10 years old when this happened and i distinctly remember seeing the interviews on cnn Mm -hmm. and i can't quite i mean if i'm as an eyewitness, I potentially am incorrectly attributing this to my mom of like, you know, they killed her, you know, their <laughs> par- you know, the parents are hiding something, something like that. But, you know, everyone kind of had an opinion on it, somewhat like OJ. Sure. And it happened right out, not too long after. OJ. That is true. And some of the experts were used on this uh-huh. case as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting that it was such a part of the cultural zeitgeist yes. at the time that even I was a little kid and I'm not reading magazines. I'm not really watching the news. And I still remember that this was sure. around. It was like she was deal. all over every magazine, every checkout, in the grocery. You couldn't watch the news without hearing about it. Seriously, she was, and I think it was not only because it was such a tragic crime. It happened in such a bizarre way, but for a large swath of the United States, child beauty pageants is an insane concept. Yes, that is something that is just not done. This is before toddlers and tiaras, sure, before any reality shows. It was. Videos of a little girl sashaying around with her midriff showing with a bunch of makeup on. Yes, with a bunch of makeup on. Mm -hmm. And people from parts of the country that had never seen that were flabbergasted. Mm -hmm. And then you start making a connection. Oh, if your kid is doing this, maybe the outcome is that you're putting them out for sex predators Mm -hmm. or 
you, you get really mad and you're an enraged mom and you kill them. So it's just an, an interesting anomaly as far as that was a kind of weird hobby they had. It opens you up to a lot of judgment and assumptions. That's true, too. We're going to break this whole series up into a couple of episodes. So to de- tonight we're just going to be talking about the night of. Correct. When, when well, in the morning The of. morning of, yes. And then the next episode is when we'll get into the actual theories and suspects because there are a lot of them. Yes. There are bookfuls. Oh, yes. Books yeah, and books Yeah, and books. I mean, we could do a 10-part series on this case. And still not cover it all. Yeah. I mean, it happened 22 years ago. It's still one of the most high-profile um, cases of, of the country that just fascinates people. Oh, definitely. Because it's never been solved, and it was... At the end of the day, as fascinating as this case may be, a six-year-old girl is brutally murdered, and it's very sad. And I do have to say, researching this affected me a lot different now than when this case first happened, mm-hmm. because now I have. I'm even tearing up. You're, like, so, oh, about... you're so sweet. You guys, Christy's crying for real. <laughs> this I'm is a heartless... like the third episode in a row of crying. <laughs> you're just crying. I'm a heartless, motherless wench, or childless wench. So I'm not crying. You have a mother. Yeah. I know I have a mother, but I'm a childless wench. But I think it is it is different to you picture yourself to read these things as as a mom now, um, because it's just it's it's sad. It's you very really sad. <laughs> oh no! So I've cried now about ET. I think this is a little more appropriate. <laughs> John Bidet. There was something else I cried about too. I, I, oh, Hamilton. Hamilton. I spontaneously uh, started crying at Toy Story. It's fine. As, <laughs> as you everything. see, I I cry very easily. It's uh, right. Also, being a mother, I cry very easily. Oh, that's true. My friend Elise in Philadelphia texted me after you mentioned crying easily at e- the ET, and she said, "I also cry spontaneously. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing all she's, the time. She's all the right. Time. Yeah. So I think we should definitely just go through the day of timeline, mm-hmm. and then in the next episode, like you said, we'll go over the yeah. the suspect list and some of the theories. So so let's get into this. So on December 26, 1997, at 5.52 a.m. in Boulder, Colorado, six-year-old JonBenet Ramsey was reported kidnapped by her mother. Just hours earlier, the entire family had been at a Christmas party celebrating with friends before returning home around 10 p.m. Patsy, the mother, claimed that JonBenet fell asleep on the car ride home and her husband John later carried her upstairs to bed. Which this is... Well documented. There was a bunch of people at the sure. party. It was the White's fleet and his wife. Patricia. That's right. The White family, which probably in Colorado was most of them. <laughs> this was, Especially in Boulder. Well, in Boulder, it's a very progressive. I texted Leanne, who is from Colorado Springs oh, and yeah. Denver area. She's lived in both of them. Well, she's from Dallas, but she's lived there. And she said that Boulder is a super progressive town, but it's also super wealthy. It's home yes. of University of Colorado. And it's got a very beautiful facade on the outside Mm -hmm. and then it also has fairly progressive and some would even say lax law enforcement situation going on here sure Uh, especially as a lot of wealthy areas do i was gonna say especially if you're like these people and you are multi-millionaires sure sure well later that day jean benet was found dead in her home she sustained a broken skull from a blow to the head and had been strangled 
presumably with the homemade garrote found tied around her neck. Garrots make me so scared because of the TV show Dexter. I've only ever seen the first episode. Oh, really? And he garroted a person. It's it's a good series, but it jumps the shark. It's, it, it does it. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely. garroted a person, and it makes me very scared when I get in my car because the guy got in the front seat of his car. Yes. He got into his driver's seat, and Dexter garroted him. And now every time I think of a garrote, I think of Dexter. So a garrote, for those that may not know what this and is. And haven't seen the TV show Dexter. Or have the internet where you could just Google it really quickly. But it's essentially um, a rope or some sort of device that has... Like a string situation. Yes, that has a piece of wood or some other kind of... Handle. Handle that you can put around someone's neck and then pull the handle very tightly to strangle them. It's like what... Um, the mob may do. Correct. I think in Goodfellas, don't they get in the car and do that to someone that's well, sitting in the front seat? I wouldn't doubt it. Probably. They dextered him. Yes, 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 they did. Well, a homemade garrote was found tied around her neck. The autopsy report stated that the official cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma and was ruled a homicide. The case generated nationwide public and media interest, in part because her mother Patsy, herself a former beauty queen, had entered Jean Bonnet in a series of child beauty pageants. True, and Patsy was 14 years younger than John. Yes. It was his second wife. Mm-hmm. So when they met, he was divorced. He had three older children. One of them had, and, was deceased. She had died in a car accident at 22. Correct. And they said that. Patsy was basically the ultimate trophy wife. Yes. She was former Miss West Virginia. Her sister was also Miss West Virginia, and they were the first siblings to accomplish that. And pageants were big with Patsy's mom and the family and Patsy, and they said she just was stoked to have a daughter that was not only able to do it, but able to do it well and also win. Yes, yes, following in her footsteps. Correct. While there are numerous theories and suspects, 22 years later, the crime is still unsolved and remains an open investigation with the Boulder Police Department. So we're going to give a cursory timeline of events that happened that day and then go into some of the more standout red flags for what initially started police thinking something isn't right here. And so they said Christmas Day, the kids woke up, ran downstairs. There's photos of JonBenet and Burke opening their presents. And there's the last photo of JonBenet was taken with her and Patsy's lap. Yes. And they're smiling, having opened their Christmas presents. They go to the White's party about 530. They eat dinner around 830. They leave around 10, get mm-hmm. home a little bit after 10. They were going to go to Michigan the next day. Yes, to their uh, home they have there. Correct. On their private plane. Yes. They, these are multimillionaires. They are very, very wealthy. They're not just And kind it is of, very well known that they are wealthy. Yeah, I say they're not just kind of rich. They're super they're millionaire very rich. rich. Yeah. Yes. They're not like Bill Gates rich, but they're no, multi-millionaire rich. They're doing well. They had a yacht, they had a couple of planes, yeah. a couple of houses. They were not hurting. Correct. They said they bought a this house in Michigan that they bought was a beautiful old Victorian style house. And she basically gutted it and totally redid it and was trying to be she. They were society people. They yes. wanted to be seen. They wanted to see and be seen. As they, they were say. hostesses. They loved Always. having parties and had a huge network of friends. Correct. So then they said all everybody goes to bed and Patsy's packing and then she goes to bed. Yes. And the morning she wakes up, she's going to go down the back staircase. They had a big staircase in the front. That's how you know you're rich. You got two, two staircases. staircases. Yes. She, she frequently, the family frequently used the back staircase. Which so she, was a spiral staircase. A spiral staircase. She comes down the spiral staircase, and on the third staircase up. She finds a ransom note. Correct. Yes. Laid out. The three pages laid out. Very neatly laid out on this staircase. 
She finds the ransom note. 5.52 a.m., she makes the 911 call. 5.54 a.m., she then calls family friends She calls Philippe and Patricia. Kind of odd. Correct. And she called another couple. Yes. They all come over. 5.59 a.m., the first responding officer arrives at the scene. So sometime after 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., more friends arrive, crime scene investigators arrive, and a victim's advocate arrive. And let's remember, this is December 26th, so it's the day after Christmas. This is not the A-team of the cops. No. Because most of them are on vacation. And recently, a new a new police chief had taken over and had basically reorganized how the police uh, hierarchy was. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot less military style where it's like lieutenant, sergeant, captain. Yes. And it was very, everyone's a sergeant. <laughs> so when they needed people to show up, they're like, call That's sergeant. That's what you so-and-so. call the bystander effect. Everyone thinks somebody else is doing it, so nobody does it. Correct. And then they had also hired this victim's advocate who was described as kind of a hippie flower child lady <laughs> who was just there to talk about people's feelings. And, and victim's advocate do serve a very good purpose. They do. But that was a newer role in the sure. department at this time. Yes. And just another set of hands to come mm-hmm. and we'll Which see. We will, we will get into that. So 8.10 a.m., Detective Linda Arndt arrives and begins investigation, but fails to secure the crime scene. Well, everyone wanted to be polite. <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, that's why no one knows who the hell did this to this day. No one said, everybody sit your ass down on the couch. No one leaves the living no room. No one's going anywhere. Stop fucking cleaning. Stop going through and taking things and throwing them out. Stop walk, coming in and going and walking all around. Yeah. At 8.15 a.m., Ron Walker, a behavior analyst for the FBI, is contacted by Detective Linda Arndt. At 10.30 a.m., Detective Arndt, who has been at the home, notices John Ramsey is nowhere to be found. Oh, you know. He claims later that he went to get the mail. But considering their mail is delivered through a mail slot in the front door, this didn't really make sense. Also, it's 8.30 in the morning, the day after Christmas Day. Or 10.30 in the morning, the day after Christmas Day. Yes. The mail also, your daughter is missing. Who gives a shit about the mail? <laughs> Where the hell are you going? What are you expecting in the mail? No. That you could you give a shit about? At 11 a.m., Ron Walker arrives at the Boulder Police Headquarters. He was in another city in Colorado, so when he gets the call to come in, he gathers all of his stuff in and then just makes uh, drives into Boulder and arrives at 11 a.m. 11.45 a.m., Walker meets with Sergeant Mason and gets his first look at the ransom note, which we will talk about in a minute. And he immediately believes it is a red herring. Same. Yes. I have the same opinion as the FBI behavioral analyst. I I do too. And I think that makes us FBI behavioral. I think so. We are officially. Congratulations. I've been wanting to be one for a while. So I'm glad we're not that. Man, I'd love to be an FBI agent. Can't pass the physical. Oh, God. But I got a lot more to offer. What do you have to do? Run a mile in like five minutes? Okay. So I've looked this up. It's (laughs) not exclusively. I've looked this up intensively. You have to get points. It's a certain point system. And so you have to do so many sit-ups in 60 seconds. And you get certain points. So many push-ups in 60 seconds, super out. And you have to run a mile in so many minutes. And for every minute you're over, maybe like 12, which isn't a ton, but every minute you're over, you like lose points. And so you, it's basically an overall fitness thing. Well, I would be negative whatever the highest negative is you can get. I think I would just be ma'am, please leave points. (laughs) Ma'am, stop wasting our time. Get out of here. 
There's a Krispy Kreme around the corner. <laughs> I'm allergic to donuts. Oh, does Krispy Kreme not have gluten free? They should. They, they don't? Do no, they do not. That's very surprising. No, very I bet hypnotic donuts does. Nope, they do not. They don't either? Nope. What about the one in Deep Ellum? Nope. If you ask for a gluten-free God. donut at a donut store, you immediately get thrown out. Unrefined <laughs> Bakery, which is the gluten-free bakery in town, has, oh. rarely has gluten-free donuts, and they'll tweet about it, and you have to like go, and they get sold out. Um, Kelsey Merritt was telling me that her and our friend Scriven went to Unrefined Bakery the other day, and I'd never heard of this place, but she said very if good. you're paleo or gluten-free or keto, that they have, you feel like you're getting a little treat. You do. You even get a though it's, it's as healthy as, I guess, a cupcake can be. <laughs> well, at noon, Arndt notifies Sergeant Mason that John is still missing. He then shows back up. And Arndt claims that when he reappears, his demeanor has changed and he's now agitated. At 1 p.m., Detective Arndt tells John Ramsey and the Ramsey's family friend, Fleet White, who was there, that they need to search the house top to bottom. Allegedly, Ramsey grabs White and makes a beeline for the basement. 1.05 p.m., John and Fleet find John Bonet's body. John carries her up the stairs and lays her body on the living room floor. Okay, well, good job. You just fucked this whole situation up. You took her from the scene of the crime all up the stairs, laid her in another area. Good job. Now, that's so now she, her body's been in two places. Oh, but wait, at 1.10 p.m., Detective Hart moves her body again. There's now three different locations her body has been. Bunch of people touching her. At three different crime scenes, yes. And people have walked all over that carpet where he laid her down. Correct. Have handled her. He was cradling her. Patsy was laying over her. People were putting clothes on her. Yep. They covered her with a blanket. They covered her feet with a sweater. Yes. They were, I mean, just, it was. Which I have to under, I have to admit, God forbid something like this sort of happened in my life. I would 100% pick her up, and I wouldn't give a shit about the crime scene. Correct. That's not where your head is at. And I also but you're probably not... would have picked her up from the floor and ran upstairs with her, too. Which makes sense, but you're also, if you're the police detective, you're like, hey, buddy, I get it. You I, you have yes. to put her down. You have yes. to put her down. Do not touch anything else. And you also don't move her again. You just quarantine the area where he's laid her, and now we're dealing with this. Yes. Keep her in as few places as possible. No, that, I mean, Detective Arndt, bless your heart. You did your best, but Jesus fucking Christ, everything she did was Did she do her best? I think she did her worst. The the Detective Steve Thomas that wrote uh, John Bonet, the the kind of definitive pro-police theory book Mm -hmm. that I read, is, he goes, basically, the first, like, six hours was everything they teach you on day one of the Academy not to do. Of letting, she just threw out the rule book. They let the couple stay together over and they could whisper to each other. They let him wander off. They lost sight of where he was. He was walking around their house. He could have been wiping things down mm-hmm. or racing, you know, whatever. And he just said, it's everything they teach you not to do on day one. That's exactly what happened yes. those six hours. Walker said that he told Arndt, you need to give him busy work and you need to stay with him. Correct. So you can analyze his behavior See where he goes, see where he doesn't go, listen to what he says, and more importantly, what he's not saying, see his reactions to things. And that's why he said, tell them to search the house. Correct. It was just busy work to kind of see what his behavior was like. Exactly. So that they could just watch his reactions to things. Yes. At 1.30, Walker and Mason finally arrive at the Ramsey's home and secure the crime scene, preventing anyone else from coming or going. She was found at 5... 
rather, the call was made at 5.52. At 1.30, we now have a secure crime scene. Wow. That's pretty wild. Think of everything that was destroyed in the interim. Yes. At 1.40 p.m., John allegedly is overheard by a detective calling his pilot and asking him to prepare the plane. The I mean, police that's a natural... tell them the Ramses cannot leave town. It's a natural reaction. <laughs> if that's true, and again, like we've said, there's arguments that would say this is false. There's arguments that say this is true. If it is true, that is very damning evidence. It seems to be you're immediately trying to leave town. Yes, yes. And even... If he claims that I wasn't just trying to leave town because I'm guilty, why are you trying to leave town at all? Your daughter was just murdered in your home. Don't you care? Who Aren't did you going to stay and talk to the police and, and help in any way you can? No, they didn't. They didn't give a police interview for months, actually. 120 days. So at 145, the Ramses leave their home to go stay with their friends, the Fernies. At 2.30 p.m., police interview Jean Benet's brother Burke, who reportedly was the only other person in the house the time all of this happened. He claims he was asleep the previous night, stayed asleep the entire night, and was in his room all day, even though he knew something was terribly wrong. He never went downstairs to ask his parents what was going on, never poked his head out of the bedroom door to say, hey, what's the deal here? He said his dad at one point ran into his room Saw he was awake, awake looked around, uh, suppo- reportedly, like, to see if John Bonet was there or whatever. Left. I'm sorry. You, we both have siblings. If you knew your parents, something awful was going on, and they were running around like chickens with their heads cut off, wouldn't you go see what the hell was going on? Yeah, just... just... He said he was too scared to know what was happening. Okay. He's nine years old. I don't buy it. I, yeah, and they said that Fleet White's kid had gone missing... A few months earlier, but she was just hiding in the house. Mm-hmm. How rich you are that you can lose a child in your home. <laughs> right. And they found her later. So it was one of those where they were kind of going room to room of maybe she's just playing a really bad game of hide and seek. Mm-hmm. But you think that Burke would be, if he was awake and heard commotion, and you can even look out your window, theoretically, I don't know if his window faced the front or the back, but see a police car You're going to hear all sorts of voices. That aren't normal. How did the police not go and talk to him before this? Or the parents also. If I had two children, I couldn't find one of them. I sure as shit am not letting the other one out of my sight. Well, don't let them sleep in. Wake up and say, did you see your sister? Did you get yes. up? Where, where or I you? would be clutching them with everything I had just because that's where your mind goes. I don't want to lose this one. I, it, we've never been in this situation, so it's hard to it judge. It is hard to say. However, behaviorally, this is what the FBI agents do, and they've seen 10,000 cases yes. Of child abductions and child murders, and they can tell, I won't say proper behavior, but what is more suspicious behavior versus, or abnormal behavior. Typical behavior. Typical versus abnormal behavior. The Ramseys in this whole situation had very abnormal behavior. Very atypical behavior, yes. Sometime after 2.30, John Ramsey hires his family friend Mike Bynum as his attorney. This is seen by a lot of people in the media, especially they're like, father of slain child hires attorney. And I don't blame him, honestly. Seriously. I, You're an attorney. That's would, what you do. You lawyer up. The first thing time. The first thing they're going to look at is the parents. I'm a lawyer and I lawyer up. <laughs> you, Double lawyer. You should. Double lawyer. It's, it's if your spouse gets murdered, 
even if you have nothing to do with it, get your ass a lawyer because they're coming to look at you first. Anything ever, always get a lawyer. Yes. Not yes. me. I can't represent you guys. I'm not your lawyer. <laughs> but get somebody. I saw I an interview with Mike Bynum, and he said he was at the house, the Ramsey's, the Fernie's house, and they, uh-huh. a bunch of family friends had gathered there to support them. He said he offered to John, hey, I really think you might want to let me take care of some things. Are you cool with me uh, just covering some bases? And John claims he didn't even know really what that meant, but he said yes. I mean, that makes sense, too, if you are kind of overwhelmed with yeah. a bunch of people in the house and a lawyer comes up and says, hey, I think you need me. I would be like, OK, yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that's the timeline of from when the 911 call was made until he lawyers up. So we're going to deep dive into yes. some of these aspects of this first day. One of the more of the red flag situations. Correct. First up is the 911 call, which I have heard about a million times Same. at this point. Same. At 5.52 a.m., Patsy Ramsey called 911 to report that her daughter had been kidnapped. While Patsy sounds upset and frantic... Many have questioned the language used by her in the call, the suspicious lack of details, and most notably, the six seconds of inaudible dialogue that was recorded after Patsy thought she had hung up. Yes. As far as odd language, we have things such as, we have a kidnapping. We is a very odd pronoun to use in this situation. Instead of saying, my daughter My daughter missing. has been kidnapped. My, I found a note. My daughter's been kidnapped. We have a kidnapping. Who is we? Correct. It's just an odd way to phrase that. Letting her know I'm the mother. Kind of weird behavior. That they didn't say. I guess she did say my daughter, but the FBI, or he wasn't an FBI, but he's a forensic linguist. Yes. Pointed out that the mother was a weird article to use rather than saying I'm her mother. I'm her mother. Also, she says she's six years old, blonde. She never once says her name is Jean Benet. Yeah. Why describe what she looks like? Again, just very atypical behavior that one would use in a 911 call. And the ransom note, which we'll shortly get to, specifically says don't call the police. Yes, and yes. She and she immediately calls the police. Uh, and the next, this next part, I think, is probably one of the most damning parts is, of this whole investigation. Uh, well, yeah, and her behavior, especially yes. in these first few minutes. So typically, when someone calls 911, they do not hang up with the operator until police arrive. Wouldn't you not? Hell no, I wouldn't. The police would need to be taking the phone out of my hand. I mean, it's true. In fact, the operator is instructed in training to tell them to remain on the line until help gets there. And this operator says says her name repeatedly. Patsy, are you there? Are you still there? She said, I need you to take a deep breath for me. Take a deep breath and calm down. She was a good operator. Sometimes they can be a little assy, but she was a really good operator. She was very nice. The phone and operator is the caller's lifeline. So why would Patsy Ramsey voluntarily hang up the phone when she believes her daughter has been kidnapped? Both Patsy and John Ramsey claimed that their son, Burke, was asleep in his room upstairs during all of the chaos. However, after Patsy thought she had hung up the phone, there is six seconds of an audible dialogue that seems to tell a different story. When state-of-the-art audio enhancements were applied, it appears three voices can be heard. The first is a very stern, parental-like voice. That sounds like John. And again... 
this is they do this audio enhancement on the A and E docu series, the case of John Bonnie Ramsey. Again, they have they have an angle they're working that they believe in, so all of the evidence they they present is kind of skewed one way. But when they do enhance it and slow things down and take out background noise and 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 speed it up, it does say like John is saying, "We're not speaking to you. We're not speaking to you." It's very like I said, parental. Yes, like shut who, up. Kid. Who is he talking to? Well, then it sounds we're like not speaking to you. Not I'm not yes, speaking to you. We're which implies. Probably he and his wife. Correct. Then you hear Patsy say something to the effect of, what did you do? Or help me, Jesus. It kind of sounds like she may have said one of these or both of these things. Correct. Either help me, Jesus, twice, or what did you do? Yes. What did you do? What did you do? Or what did you do? Help me, Jesus. They're both four syllables. Yes. At this point, you hear a third voice, which sounds very childlike, very different from the other two adult voices, which we could assume was Burke. Yes. And they said he was asleep during this whole thing. And he says, what did you find? What did you find? You can definitely tell. Which is a weird, weird word to emphasize. What did you find? Yeah. And you can tell that it is three distinct voices yes. in the enhancement. And even if that's not precisely what they're saying, you can tell it's somewhat similar. It's something close to that. There are definitely three voices and one of them sounds childlike. Even if these might not be exactly what was said, if Burke was there, they're lying about that. Yes. Kim Archuleta, the 911 operator who took the call that morning, said that she stayed on the line after Patsy attempted to hang up because she felt, quote, something wasn't right. In the A&E docuseries, The Case of John Benet Ramsey, Kim is interviewed for the very first time. She believes after Patsy tried to hang up, she heard her say, okay, we called the police, now what? Kim said there was an immediate change in tone from how Patsy had been speaking to her and how she was now speaking to the other person in the room. And I will say, in so I read two books. I read Jean Bonnet by Steve Thomas, who is, it's inside the Ramsey murder investigation. He was a detective. And I read Perfect Murder, Perfect Town by Lawrence Schiller. And in Perfect Murder, okay, Perfect Murder, Perfect Town is pretty anti-Ramsey's. It is pro-intruder. No, no, no. I'm saying it's, oh, it's, it, they, it's, it's the Ramses did it. Correct. Yeah. It's very damning of them. And particularly his uh, depiction of Patsy Ramsey is that she is like this huge drama queen and she was an actress. And basically every interview she gave and then the 911 call. And then when she talked to police officers that she was an actress and she was smart enough to be manipulative and was able to basically put on a front. Yeah. And so that kind of is in line with what yes. this 911 operator says. Yes, saying. yes. Again, that's according to Lauren Schiller. Yes. I never met Patsy Ramsey. I did watch interviews with her. Which he doesn't, he's not totally off base. She's, I mean, it, she does seem a bit off. But again, I didn't know her in real life. Well, so. and in the very first interview, she's 100% on Valium. Oh. And they talked about how she's on Valium. Can you blame just, her? No you, matter what happened, she her just sort daughter's of, dead. And yeah, and one of her main famous quotes where she's like, I was just telling my friends to hold your baby's yes. clothes. She and then later interviews, you can say she said, "I went up and I prayed with John Bonet." You can just tell her vocals in the first interview that she is medicated. She is, which medi- yes, I, I am not blaming no, her, girl. No, I am hell no. not blaming her. Hell no. Well, Kim also claims that Patsy sounded very rehearsed in her call. She's always felt she had information that could have blown this case wide open. But while the case was being investigated, she was under gag order, 
which prevented her from being able to talk to the media, and no cops or investigators ever sought out to interview her. She was not even called by the grand jury when this went to the grand jury. So that A&E docuseries had a big get with her yes. interview because it seemed She said like, she's been w- just waiting for someone to talk to her for 20 years. It seems like no one ever thought to or they were like, or we don't want to know. Or they didn't want to know. Exactly. Correct. Yes. Well, after the 911 call, police arrive. At 6 a.m., the first officer arrives on the scene. Like we said, shortly thereafter, friends of the family, crime scene investigators, and a victim's advocate arrived. Because the police were operating under the assumption that this was a kidnapping, and perhaps also just due to gross negligence, the only room in the house that was secured was John Bonet's bedroom. People were coming and going, walking throughout the house, removing items from the house, and wiping down and cleaning surfaces. They were wiping down the kitchen. That's so insane. And the most insane was that the crime scene investigators were going along and fingerprinting. So they were putting the fingerprint dust down, lifting the prints, and then immediately... Immediately, the victim's advocate was walking around with a bottle of Windex. And no one told her, sit down, the lady. Fuck <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> That's insane to me. Yeah. she's. It's like a Keystone Cops episode. It's like a joke. Yeah. But she thought, well, and I, I kind of see where she's coming from. Although you work for the police department, so have two brain cells to rub together. Right. I know that you're destroying a crime scene, but I'm assuming as a victim's advocate, she thought these poor parents had to go through this. They don't want to see all these fingerprint smudges everywhere. It reminds them that a crime happened. Like, And people clean when they're nervous. looking for something to do and nervous and trying to help. Correct. So I get that. But like you said, she works with the police. And even if she's too dumb to realize she's screwing something up, a cop should stepped in and said hello shut it down stop that what are you doing put your put the windex and the bounty paper maybe maybe we wait until we at least it's been a few hours well the crime scene was completely contaminated and there is no way of knowing what may have been discovered had the police not allowed this to happen correct and they said fleet white was sort of walking around because he was uncomfortable nervous whatever and then he said he walked down to the basement he saw some glass he kind of moved it everyone was just sort of like touching stuff yeah, wandering just around a fairing all over this touching damn stuff house. in the living or in the kitchen such stuff in the living room like oh a, a bunch of people were you know looking at the ransom note which just touching the head oh yeah have their fingerprints all over it yeah it's it's pretty crazy and maybe because they didn't know her body was just feet away and it was an actual murder scene. There was a little more lax going on, but still, it's still a crime scene. One of the most horrific pictures is of the door mm-hmm. that's shut. And w- at the moment that the photo was taken, she was behind mm-hmm. the door and yeah. nobody knew to open it. Multiple cops had gone down there mm-hmm. and looked and thought, well, there's like a weird latch up top. So somebody couldn't have latched that back behind themselves. So eh, there's probably nothing in there and there's no way to get out. Would have changed the entire trajectory of this way case earlier. The guy, the I think the first cop said he walked by that door around 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And it was another just a couple hours after they got there. Multiple hours before yes. they actually then opened the door. The father would not have found the body. It wouldn't have been moved. Correct. Who knows what kind of evidence would have been still there? Well, let's get into the ransom note because this, arguably by some experts, is the biggest piece of evidence this case has. This, to me, if we're going, what what do we think early? This is the biggest piece of evidence I think points to the parental involvement somehow. Somehow. Well, historically in kidnapping cases, the perpetrator more often than not leaves some kind of note demanding money in exchange for the return of the child they've kidnapped. Some of the most famous kidnapping cases in history began with the discovery of a ransom note. 
These notes are often the most critical piece of evidence investigators have. Sometimes it's the only evidence they have. Correct. By looking at the handwriting, the language used, and the specifics of the note, they can uncover clues about the writer and develop a linguistic profile. Yes. Which is what, in the docuseries, they do. The linguistic profile of the person that wrote this ransom letter. Writing ability, high. They use big words like attache, particularly multiple, multisyllabic words. Yes. Language one, which means their primary language that they learned at birth, English. And you can tell that by the way that they form sentences. Yes. Age, they said this one's a little harder to always pin down, but there's clearly no language that indicates this was a teenager or someone kind of young. There's no slang. Or- so there's it's 30 plus for this. Gender, which is maybe the most interesting part of this. Female. Correct. They said a that lot of maternalistic language. Listen carefully. Yes. Which is something that you would say to a spouse a or a child. And when you get home, which they said is a more like a stay at home mom kind of language. Yes. Be like, hey, when you get home, make yes. sure to do this. Very casual and more comforting and warm. And they said that the phrase, the people who have your daughter do not like you, that a, they said that, I mean. Again, you, it, I mean, gender stereotypes be damned. It is maternal language. According to the FBI behavior analyst. Correct. And if they, they said that um, male perpetrators are less likely to be concerned with people liking them. Sure, not. sure. Statistically, when a ransom note is written, it is straight to the point, conveys a position of power, and demands a large sum of money. However, the ransom note Patsy claims to have found that morning, neatly laid out on a step of their staircase, possessed none of these qualities, and was actually more of a letter than a note. Correct. The note was handwritten over 380 words and almost three pages long. They said statistically a ransom note is between 50 to 60 words. And it's usually four things. We have your kid. Yes. This is how you're going to get the money. This is how much money we need. This is how we're going to contact you. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) And you get the fuck out. Correct. A recreation performed on the docuseries showed that it took 21 minutes for four different people to copy the note verbatim. And they mentioned that they were copying versus having to yes. think of it. Yes. It would stand to reason that someone writing it for the first time would take even longer. Also, in the reenactment, they did not bother crossing T's and dotting I's. However, whoever wrote the original ransom note had made sure to do this. And there were a lot of them in there. There's a lot of I's and every one of them was dotted. Take takes a lot of time. Another red flag with this ransom note was the language that was used. We talked a little bit about this. For starters, the note begins, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. Very odd choice of words as one cannot listen to a note, but like we said, it does sound like you were talking down to a child. Also, the perpetrator would want to seem powerful and authoritative. So why in the first few lines would they claim to be a, quote, small foreign faction? Correct. That you would want to say, we are a terrorist organization yes. located all over the United States, and we will get you. Now, like, there's just, like, a few of us, and we have <laughs> yeah. a problem with you. Seem big and bad, yeah. They do not seem big and bad. No. The linguistic profile of this person that wrote the letter suggests that they have a high writing ability. Several large words are spelled correctly throughout. However, immediately following foreign faction, the word business is misspelled with two S's. So it's B-U-S-S-I-N-E-S. Yes. According to experts, this misspelling is intentional to try and sell the fact that English is not the first language of the person who wrote this. 
Yeah, but then you use attache. Come on. And a lot of other SAT words throughout it. Correct. That was the only word misspelled was business. It was, it seems uh, hastily written and to sort of sell. Yes. Sell a It was a sales job. This whole ransom ransom note was a sales job. According to linguistic expert Jim Fitzgerald, 76% of the ransom letter is extraneous. Throughout the letter, it is unnecessarily repeated what will happen if the Ramseys do not comply. Quote, speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police or FBI, will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is marked in any way or tampered with, she dies. Very much like the person is trying to sell it. You've already said, we have your daughter. This is how you get her back. And if you don't do it, you kill her. She's, she's going to die. Why are you There's going no to? There's no need to go through this. Correct. Fitzgerald also says that the language used is maternal, like we said. Handwriting analysis concluded that the handwriting was very similar to Patsy's. However, it has never been completely confirmed. They talk about it in, Steve Thomas talks about it in Jean Benet, and he took the handwriting sample to some secret service analysts and they determined that it they could not definitively rule her out it's the way yes. that she writes her a's in a sort of scripted way and they well, did definitively rule out john correct but not her but not her yes. they could not rule her out yes and this final part is what really sticks in my craw really you've seen the if you've seen Photos of their home. Yes. They were huge movie buffs. Yes. There were posters everywhere. Yes. And what stuck out about this ransom note words? Several times in the ransom note, quotes from Dirty Harry and Speed appear. John Ramsey was a known movie lover. So. Correct. Could have been he saw these things in there or she did. Or he was telling her what to write. I don't know. Or, the, yeah, they've seen the same movies. Yes, I mean, arguably. Yes. But the the phrase, if you if we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies is straight out of Dirty Harry. And yes. that repetitive, she, da-da-da-da-da, she dies, da-da-da-da-da, she dies is out of Dirty Harry. And it, they don't say in Dirty Harry, catch, catch you talking to a stray dog. It says if we catch you talking to a Pekingese. Yes. But then it, also, it says, at the end, don't try to grow a brain, John, yes. is directly out of speed. Yes. And so they think that this is not an actual kidnapper, but someone who's trying to write what they think a kidnapper sounds yes. like. Yes, yes, yes. If you're trying to sell the concept that this is a ransom note, what do you how do, what do you know about ransom notes? Only what I've seen in movies. I'd probably cut a bunch of letters out of a magazine. I would also and, do that. Uh, glue them to a piece of paper. <laughs> that is also what I. Would which do. is a very common thing because then handwriting analysis is thrown out the window. Yeah, but that also would have to have been done theoretically prior to getting here. Correct. Well, another really weird thing about this was the amount of money. That was asked for. It was well known that the Ramses were very wealthy. They owned two planes, a thirty foot yacht. They said his couple houses. And that yeah, they said his assets were about seven million dollars. Yeah. Over seven million dollars. And it was well known. It was in the newspaper. Yes. He was famous. His software company had just reached a billion dollars in sales that year, which had been made public just a few days before the murder. So why would the kidnapper only ask for $118,000 when they could have demanded millions? Ironically, or perhaps not, $118,000 was also the rounded amount of a bonus John had received earlier that year. Yeah, a very 
wide pool of suspects could be people that worked with him that knew yes. how wealthy he was. They said Jean Benet was well known around his office. She would come up there, visit him, sit in his lap. He was kind of a workaholic, so one of the only ways they could see him would be to visit him at work. And that he had some disgruntled employees that we will get to in the the suspect list in the next episode, but that had been fired for very random things. One of them, the guy had said on his application that he was not a smoker and they found out that he was and they fired him. (laughs) He was real pissed off and sued them and he got a settlement. So it was just certain things like that that the cops thought, okay, well, this is a person that would know he has an extra 118 grand laying around in cash because he just got it. Even then, but you still, also he's know rich. he's got a couple million laying around. He's got a freaking airplane and a bunch of and a yacht. You can drive by their house and know that yeah. they've got more than $118,000. And that, that is a weird number to a choose. A very specific number. We also mentioned the note clearly stated, quote, speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police or FBI, will result in your daughter being beheaded. This did not stop Patsy from immediately calling the police when she found the note. It also stated that someone would call them between 8 to 10 a.m. that morning to instruct them how to deliver the money. However, when the time came, neither John nor Patsy seemed nervous, and the call never came. And they also said that he got the money out of the bank, worked it out with the bank, and it said in the note, if you get the money out early, we're going to be watching you. And we'll go ahead and give her back sooner if you get money sooner. So they read it at least to the extent of knowing to get the money out. But I would be paranoid that there's cops. And they even told the cops, this is what the ransom note said. And at that point, there was literally police cars in front of their house. So if you're being monitored and watched, like they said, if you talk to a stray dog, we're going to kill her. Then you're just welcoming the police into your house. Do you think if you found a ransom note and it clear, say, say this is you. And we it, have Lucy, your dog. And oh it my clearly God, says, <laughs> please take her. I'll give you money. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Let me wait about two hours. You'll bring her back. She'll bite the shit out of you <laughs> yeah. and un- no, nonstop bark. You will return her. Yes. But would you, if it clearly said, "Do I was trying to think of myself. If it clearly said, do not contact the police or would we're going to kill her. Would I contact the police? I think I would. But Because what am I going to do on my own? Correct. I would contact the police and say, my kid's been kidnapped. The letter says that if I call you, they're going to kill her. Please do something. Help me. And then that's at least enough information for the cops to be like, we'll send someone in a water public waterworks truck to yes. come undercover yeah. and come and fix your water meter. I probably would have read the entire note to the dispatcher on the phone. Number one note I got on my report card in school is does not follow, does not read directions throughout before beginning project. <laughs> I would inevitably be the kid that says, read all these instructions to the end before you start. I distinctly remember, I believe it was in first grade because Miss Huff was really nice. She's my first grade teacher. And it was a picture of a haunted house and it said, read all instructions to the end. This is a goddamn trap. I'll tell you, I'm sorry. I Miss Huff, you were nice. And it says, number one, write your name in the top left corner. And then you get to number 21 and it says, do not do number two, which was write your name. And I had already written my name and I look like an asshole. Oh. oh, well, I've also seen where teachers will say, it's a test and it'll say, read this until, this even was done in college. <laughs> read this till the end. Read instructions through before starting and then if you read the instructions through at the very end it said just write your name and turn it in ha (laughs) so people would do the entire test and didn't need to well i fell for it in first grade i probably would have fell for it in college but (laughs) so you would have called the cops probably would have. yeah i mean i don't know i think i would have too and i do read instructions but i still like 
what are you going to do on your own? I would be so terrified. I don't know. Maybe I would have waited till at least 8 a.m. to see if somebody called. I re- it's hard to say, again, what you would do in these types of situations. Especially if you're the one that wrote the note. Ooh. Damn. Burr, 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 burr. Fierce. Well, another very strange thing. Typically, ransom notes are written prior to entering the crime scene. This is where it just really solidifies it to very me strange. that Patsy wrote this note. However, this one was written in the Ramsey's house on Patsy's notepad and with a pen from the desk in the Ramsey's kitchen. The pad showed indentations of two practice notes. In addition, the pen and pad were put back in their original places after they were used. To take the time to do this in the house after having just committed murder is extremely high-risk behavior and very unusual. So you've gone up to John Bonet's room. You've gotten her down to the basement. You've done horrible things to her there. She's dead. You then go find a pad and pen. The pad is the pad is on her writing desk. The pen is underneath the phone. You get those out. You start writing a ransom note. You say, you know what? I could do better. You start writing a second ransom note. Still not satisfied. I could do better. You start with a third one. It takes you... At least 21 minutes, probably more, in addition to the time you've already spent. So now, arguably, you've probably spent a half hour just writing this ransom note. If you After had, you've killed this kid. You should have had a chihuahua like mine. She would have been barking the whole time someone was in the kitchen. Who is going to stay in this house and risk somebody walking in on this? And when we get to the discovery of the body in the crime scene, there was more evidence in that area of body staging and things that definitely were unnecessary and we're done it's again it's just high-risk behavior you're you've committed this crime get out and run and this person the perpetrator or even if it's not the same person that committed the crime that wrote the note the note writer is just taking their sweet time yeah and also the pen is definitively that pen that was from the pencil cup underneath the phone because they can do ink tests apparently the fun fact for everyone that's listening the secret service has a special catalog of all the inks ever wow. uh, because they I mean, test it for it forgery. In handy, They're in yeah. charge of who forges money. Oh. And so if you find a forged $20 bill or $100 bill, they can trace that ink back to where it came from exactly the pen exact, or you know, the printer or whatever. So they were able to test the ink in this pen and definitively say it's not just like a Sharpie. It's that Sharpie. Yes. Very interesting. And again, it was put back. Yeah. <laughs> I don't put shit back. In Perfect. my own home, when I haven't killed someone or worried about things happening. Yeah, there's pins all over the place in my house. In <laughs> my purse, I don't, the lid's not even on yeah, it. Some of the pins there's in no my telling purse. what's there's happening. Still, I've destroyed, that's why I exclusively carry black purses. I have destroyed purses of other colors by having a lidless pin go asunder yes. into the insides of there's my purse. There's two ink stains on our cream-colored couch from me. From a blue pen that I yes. just left willy-nilly. And my bed around. has ink stains. I write in bed and there's ink stains in yeah. my bed. But I think that that is also interesting as far as we're talking about high-risk behavior of putting the pad back where you found it and then putting the pen back where you found it gently and not just chucking it wherever you, yes. know, you left it. Yes. The ransom note was mysteriously signed. Victory. SBTC. This acronym has plagued investigators for 20-plus years. Some believe it may have stood for Saved by the Cross. Which the victory is like victory over Satan. Yes. Subic Bay Training Center. Which is where John Ramsey... Subic Bay is where John Ramsey served in the military. Mm. But later on, it has been 
debunked that it was a training center. Okay. So Subic Bay, the SB is accurate, but it was not a training yes. center. He was trained somewhere else and just served at Subic Bay. So that was a false, yes. a kind of a false label. There's a list of other possibilities, too, and we'll get into some of them in the next episode when we talk about possible suspects. But regardless of what anyone thinks it's has stood for, nothing concrete has ever come of it. Yeah, exactly. They and she mentions it. The weird thing she to does me, mention it in the nine one one. She call. mentions it in the nine one. She doesn't say her daughter's name, but she says it says S says. Well, the, the, the call or the dispatcher says, "Does who do you know who took her? Does it say who took her?" And she's like, "I, I don't know. There's just a note. SP, you know, you just read that entire note. Yes. You know who it says. That would be the first thing I would be like. Yeah, it's SBTC. Don't know what that means, but they're claiming that they have my daughter. Get, yeah, get on it. So a lot of the other stuff too is the. their behavior at the crime scene and detective Arndt said when she arrived that john was very cordial yes and they opened the door and and was cordial which again it's very hard to say how one behaves in moments of grief you laughed when the challenger exploded all right let's not (laughs) there's all sorts of things or you know everyone reacts differently but again Behavior analysis have studied these things for many years and have thousands of cases to compare them to of what is typical behavior and atypical behavior. And the Ramseys were not displaying typical behavior at their home when Correct. the police were there. Correct. And they mentioned that his actions have basically it's afterwards i think he's more exonerable insofar as how he speaks in the interviews he does seem way more genuine but we'll get into the interviews too in the next one sorry we're putting we're, we're already bumping up against time on this one and all <laughs> we're doing is the first day of yes but in some of the future interviews his behavior is a little bit more controlled and hers the behavior analysis is that she's maybe being deceptive or trying to convince herself of things yeah so then um, especially, too, in this next part, that their behavior is, again, a little, maybe slightly atypical. They may have also just been weird, eccentric people. That's you know? true, too. And then do you get accused of murder just because you're weird? Exactly. Just because you don't act how 10 out of 10 people might act if a murder's taken place doesn't mean you killed your kid. Yeah, that's true. God help me. I'm very weird. <laughs> Yeah. They'd be like, she definitely did. She is a killer. <laughs> and you're like, no, death. I'm just a weirdo. <laughs> just weird. I'm very specific and particular. Well, at 1 p.m., like we said, Detective Arndt told John Ramsey and family friend Fleet White to search the house for anything out of the ordinary. According to Arndt, John jumped up, grabbed Fleet, and made a beeline for the basement. At approximately 1.05 p.m., John Ramsey opened the door to the wine cellar in the basement. While police had noticed the store earlier in the investigation, no one had bothered opening it. Multiple, like we said, multiple police officers had not only walked walked by by it or taking photos of it when they were photographing the crime scene. As John opened the door, he reportedly yelled out, Oh God! As there before him lay John Bonet's lifeless body. And the FBI agent said, Frequently when they see staged crimes... Mm -hmm. That the perp will manipulate and have a friend with them yes. to, quote unquote, discover the body. Because... And to attest how, oh, they were frantic. Exactly. They were, they were so upset. You have a witness there that later when the cops say, well, what was John's reaction when he saw the body? He ran to her. He freaked out. He mm-hmm. grabbed the tape off her mouth. He picked her up. He held her on his hip instead of over his shoulder and ran up the stairs with her. 
Uh, so, and then he put her on the ground, which, like we said earlier, was uh, sort of contaminatory yes, to yes. his body. And we will get into more of that. The next few hours and the next few decades. Yes. Who did and this? And the theories and suspects and what we think may have happened on the next episode. And there's just... So, so far, I've read Perfect Murder, Perfect Town by Lawrence Schiller and Jean Benet Inside the Ramsey Murder Investigation by Detective Steve Thomas. I think I'm going to try... I'm not... think. Before the next episode, I'm going to read John Ramsey's book. Mm-hmm. And because I just like memoirs and I, I might try to read it's good to get a, uh, rounded out, not just the family. Did Correct. This. Yes. So I've read, there's a lot of theories that there's... an intru- it was an intruder. It was Correct. the family. It was the neighbor. It was, uh, all, there's all sorts of theories. So my brain is currently filled with the family absolutely did it. And so I'm going to read John Ramsey's book next. And much like any commercial I see for any item and immediately buy it, I will probably change my <laughs> Can't mind. Can't wait to see what, after our computers have listened to this, what Facebook targeted ads we get. Oh, God. I've also, watched um, the A&E docuseries, same. as did you. Also watched it. And the John Bonet documentary, The Father Speaks. Correct. Which is also on A&E. Yes. Um, I've also seen, although it's been a year or so, the casting of John Bonet, which isn't as much a... It's kind of a documentary, but it's also it's 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 very interesting how they do it. But they have a lot of interviews with people that were friends of them at the time and and lived in the town at the time. So it's interesting too. And that that's part of what gets uh, one of the people that's interviewed in the docu series is a friend of theirs because at the time when this all went down, their friends totally shut down to the cops. Like nobody would talk to the cops, and one of their friends did talk yes. to the cops, and she was. Basically, yeah, completely they dropped her like ostracized. A hot potato. She was completely ostracized. So that's the things that we've looked at so far is those books and those. Yes. And we will continue researching. But we don't record this for another week, the second part. So if you hear this and there's any book or documentary that you think we should watch to give us a better. Please. Some new evidence or new new ideas. Please message us on Instagram or email us or hit us up on Facebook and let us know because we want to present multiple sides. Correct. Not just what we might think or what the the popular opinion is. I will say that docuseries, while it is a lot of experts, it is a reality it's show. Very so it's very slanted to one view. It's dramatically cut. And at the beginning, they're like, we're just going to look at all the evidence and see where it goes. And then you just start to see there's no other way it could be anyone yes. except for the family. Yeah. And every time that they look at any evidence. And as a lawyer, I mean, also just as a viewer, I just thought, okay, well, there's no way that every single piece of evidence right. all points to them. Yes. So the problem... And, that's, and that's, that's like, again, that's with every article and documentary is... They all have a skewed angle, and they're going to present their side. Well, everybody wants an answer. Yeah. You don't want to watch a movie that goes, well, it ends. You decide how it ends. <laughs> that's, when that and happens, that's why people, get people pissed. are still so obsessed with this case. It's true. So I think that's a, a good a good request that we have, that yeah. if, you, if there's a book or a, a documentary you think that we should read, please send it our way. But that's my next – the next book on my agenda is John Ramsey's uh, book that he wrote. They wrote a book – I might read both of them. They wrote a book – very while well, Patsy Who, was still alive. Patsy, yeah, she died in 2006 of ovarian cancer. And then he wrote a book a few years after that called The Other Side of Suffering. Mm. And so that's the one I have. So if I if I can get a hold of the other one, I yeah. might read that one Dude, too. I, there's one that I don't know the name of, but I know one of our friends has read it that 
really um, gives a lot of good evidence for the intruder theory. Which one? Lindsay Goldup. Oh, okay. So we need to – I'm going to hit her up and, and see who what this book is because she was she is also very obsessed with this case. So I'm – Well, send us what you got, sister. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you do want to send us what you got – Please do it on Instagram or Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod, or you can like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. You can also email us at sinisterhoodpodcast at gmail.com. That is correct. Where can they find you personally? I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. What about you, Heather? I'm on Instagram at Heather VS The World, and I'm on Twitter at MCK VS The World. You can see some really rad pictures of me from the Dallas Comedy House. You look Christmas party. very hot. My dress from Amazon. My favorite picture is the two of us. Heather looks gorgeous in this green velour <laughs> gown. <laughs> I'm wearing a Christmas sweater, which I actually have on right now, too, that has a sloth with a Santa hat on. It's very good. <laughs> uh, so please, yeah, if you have any theories or anything you want to share, please send it to us on there. And also, we want to say thank you so much for listening. We just hit today 300,000 downloads, yes. which is a crazy amount because we just hit 200,000 very recently. It's, it's overwhelming. So tell all your friends like you have been. You've been you doing guys, a good job, guys. Yeah, you guys are amazing and and it's so humbling and surreal and validating and so just wonderful. Christmas has come early this year. Yes. And also thank you to people who shout out to anyone who sent me a DM or sent a DM to the podcast Instagram that has any sort of story about where you were when you're listening to the show. Mm-hmm. It's so nice because you think some people say, oh, this is cheesy. I've never written to a show before. First of all, I love to hear it. I'm yeah. very tired right now. I wish I was asleep, but I'm like <laughs> here to do it because people like it and people listen to it. And thank you. That kind of gives me the juice to keep yeah. going. I think there's no way I could read another book about John Benet Ramsey. I'm going to die. Yeah. And it's like, you're not read that book. It's like, because people say I'm studying for finals or I had a really mm-hmm. bad day or I'm, 36 weeks pregnant on bed rest and I have nothing else to do. Thank you for making me laugh. I feel that. Girl, you know. I'm going to compare it to Survivor. Always. Because I have to. It's when they're at, they usually have a week left and they have the family visit. That's it. And it propels them to be able to have the strength to get through the last week, which is arguably the most difficult week. Your DMs are our Survivor (laughs) family visits. So please keep them coming because they make us... It, they we make live us, for it. Correct. They make us very inspired and joyful. Thank yes. you. Yes. And if we, we try and respond genuinely to everyone that we get a message from or comments on something, if we haven't, we apologize and we will try to get to it. There's a lot that come in. That's a good problem to have. I know. It's We're true. trying to get to all of them. Um, and if you really, really like us, aside from telling us how much you like us, you should tell your friends. Mm-hmm. You can tag them on Instagram or Facebook or just tell them to their face. That's always fun. <laughs> Brian Harrington, it. just grab their phone, subscribe for them. And if you can also like and subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, it means a ton to us and it really helps us grow like we have. So thanks for doing that. Yes. And... Will we talk to them before Christmas? The yes, our next one will come out on Christmas. Yes. Merry Christmas. But in the interim, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Happy Festivus. Happy may, Festivus. May your feats of strength go well and may <laughs> all of your grievances be aired. <laughs> As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Sinister. Hood.